I have known the Davies since they were uh, at Olivet. Uh, Gary was a musician traveling with a group called the Journeymen way back then, I think in 1979. That's when I first, well, Debbie and I were married in 79. We actually came here in 80. And uh, our first camps, they were a part of those camps in those early days at junior high and senior high camps. So I, I knew these guys. Uh, of course, Kimberly was at the Huntington Church and was one of our NEI students. And uh, so it's kind of fun uh, to reminisce, reminisce a little bit and see people that you've watched grow up and, and see how the Lord has used them. They're pastoring in the church, and we're just grateful for them and for their ministry of music to us today. Well, turn with your, me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. During this interim period, we want to focus on two things. The presence of God and the purpose of God. For it's in His presence that the purpose of God is revealed to us. We want to be people who consistently seek the Lord through prayer. The book of James instructs us to come near to God and He will come near to you. We want to seek the Lord through the study of His Word. Did you bring your Bible with you today? I encourage you to hold it up and show it to me today. Did you bring your Bible with you today? Quote with me this memory verse for the series of this month on the high priestly prayer. It's found in John 17, verses 17 and 18. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. It is in his presence that we are empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit to fulfill his purpose to love God and our neighbor and to go and make disciples. Today's message comes from John 17. It's a continuation of our study in the high priestly prayer. In this prayer, we have an opportunity to listen in as Jesus prays to the Father. In verses 1 through 5, we find Jesus praying on his behalf. Lord, glorify the Son, that the Son might glorify the Father. He's acknowledging in just a few hours he will be going to the cross and giving his life for you and for me. And he turns to the Father and he prays for himself, Father, glorify the Son, so that I might glorify you. Then in verses 16 through 19, he turns his attention to his disciples those 11 that remain, and he prays for their unity. He also prays for their protection. He prays that their joy, they might have a fullness of joy, the same joy that he has with the Father. And he prays that they might understand this relationship that he has with the Father, that their joy might be complete. In verses 17 through 19, Jesus prays for Their sanctification. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now let's look at verse 20 of John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now let's look at this verse very closely. My prayer is not for them alone. He's saying, my prayer is not just for the disciples. 
I pray also, and this is where you insert your name, I pray for Carl, who will believe in me. I pray for Rex, who will believe in me. I pray for Ash, who will believe in me. You see, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, he prays for you. Are are you listening? Do you get this? Jesus prays for you. 2,000 years ago, he thought of you, and he prays for you. I don't know about you, but that I'm in awe of that. God himself prays for you. Having prayed for himself and the success of his mission, having prayed and interceded for his disciples for their protection, for their unity, for their sanctification, for their joy, he now turns his attention to you. And he prays for you. You see, he prays for all the future generations who would come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he prays for you. Now let's look at the rest of this verse. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those, put your name in there, who will believe in me through their message. Now I went to Pastor Ryan and I asked him, Pastor Ryan, what does the word message mean? How is that in the Greek? What word is that? And he told me it's logos. It's the same word that's at the beginning of John. In the beginning it was the word, and the word was with God. It's the exact same word. Sometimes uh, they will use the word message to translate that word logos. Other times they use the, they use the word word. In this case, they use the word message. But I think it fits better for me to think of it as the word. My prayer is not for them alone, for the disciples, but I pray also, put your name in there, who will believe in me through their word. How do we believe? It's through the truth. It's through the word that is passed from generation to generation. You see, Christianity is one generation away from extinction. For if we do not share the truth of God's word, You see, Jesus is relying on us. We are his hands. We are his feet. Now, the scripture does say that even the rocks will cry out. But he's praying that from generation to generation that his word will have an impact on the generations to come. The disciples possess the truth and they have the right to fully claim this truth as their own. They share in the light of Christ. And they are his ambassadors of reconciliation. You see, John 8.32 says this, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, it's the word of God that is truth. And it's the truth that brings freedom. It's truth that brings a right relationship with the holy God. And we are responsible to give that truth to our world. But we cannot do it in our own strength. John 16 tells us, John 16.13, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. And so God gives us his Holy Spirit not only to guide us into truth, he not only gives us his word, not only did he give us his life, but he gives us his word, but he also gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Now look with me at verse 21 of John 17, verses 21 through 23. Jesus prays that all of them may be one. You see, he prays for our spiritual unity, that all of them may be one. 
Father, just as I, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, Jesus experiences a right relationship with God. God the Son and God the Father are one. And he prays for the future generations that you might also have a right relationship with God. Look at me. Look with me at this verse 21. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God wants to restore this right relationship with the Father through the Son. And Jesus prays that you might have a right relationship with the Father. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, the Lord prays for our unity among believers. Unity is not uniformity. When one goes into the military to train for the military, they, they try to make the military recruits uniform. Whether it's a male or female, they, they give them a similar haircut. They give them a similar wardrobe, um, similar uniform, I guess you'd say. Um, they teach them similar things. At graduation from boot camp, they emerge looking very much the same, sounding very much the same, behaving very much the same, prepared for very similar duties. However, the body of Christ is not uniform, but diverse. We are both Jew and Greek, male and female, bond and slave. You see, it doesn't matter what denomination you are from. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you have a bond that goes beyond the division that separates us. The differences that sometimes we make a bigger deal out of than I think God makes of. You see, if someone is a follower of Christ and they have a different point of view than you, but they have the basic tenets of faith and they've accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord and they have a personal relationship with them, they're your brother and the sister in the Lord. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, we have been called just to be receivers of God's grace. As great as that is, we have been called to be agents of God's grace. We haven't been called just to be fans of Jesus. We have been called to be followers of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? To actually do the things that Jesus would do. To actually go the places that Jesus would go. To actually say the kinds of things that Jesus would say. To become the person that God has created us to be through Christ Jesus. You see, as we grow in Christ's likeness, this happens through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to sanctify us 
through and through. When we say yes to the Holy Spirit, we give Him permission to mold and to shape us into the image of Christ. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. You see, we die to self and we say, Lord, have your way. And we give our lives to Him completely and fully. Sanctify me, Lord, through and through. And as we die to self, we begin to reflect the image of Christ in our lives. But to understand John chapter 17, we really have to look at the big picture. And I want us to look at what some refer to as the meta-narrative of the Bible. You see, it's real tempting for us to take little stories of the Bible, or stories in the Bible, and we say that's a great story, it's a great story about a person, and, uh, and we take and make a moral, take the moral application from that story and apply it to our lives. It makes sense to do that. And yet, each story leads into the other. For instance, you take the story about Abraham, and you say Abraham was a man of faith, he was the father of many nations, we also ought to be a man of faith. And yet, there's more to that story than just his story alone. Or you take the story of Moses. Moses was called of God. And he delivered the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. And yet, when the Lord called him, he was hesitant because he was worried about his speech. But God used him even though he felt he was so inadequate. And God can use us even though we often feel inadequate. Or you take the story of David. David was a a boy in a field tending the sheep. When they were looking for a king, they didn't even bring David to the table. Man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And they called David in from the field. And we say, look at that story that God can use even a boy who's willing. And those stories are great, and yet they're telling us a bigger picture. There's a meta-narrative here. And to understand John 17, we, we have to understand the bigger picture So we turn to Genesis chapter 2. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25, to look at the the big story here. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the fields and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. I love this part of the scripture because it it reminds us that we're not just to simply enjoy creation, but we are to be a part of creation. You see, we were created in the image of God, and God is a creative God. And he has created us to be creative. And he gives us the responsibility of naming the beasts of the field. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the fields. But for Adam, none suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman 
for she was taken out of the man. And this is a scripture we often hear at weddings for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. I I want to draw a picture for you. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to draw a naked picture. (laughs) We have God, man, and woman. This is how it was intended to be before the fall. Unity. God, man, and woman. We were meant to be in relationship with one another. To have a relationship with God the Father. To have a relationship with one another. With nothing in between us. The scripture says they were naked and felt no shame. You see, it's, the issue here is not that they were unclothed. It's much deeper than that. You see, there was nothing in between them. There was no division. There was no shame. The idea here was that there was nothing between them. There was nothing hidden. There was no secrets. There was no shame. There was no sin in their lives to divide them. And there was this unbelievable unity between God the Father and His creation. And we have to understand this is how God designed it to be for you and me. If you continue to read in Genesis chapter 2 on into chapter 3, you'll find the fall. And what is known as sin entering into our world. And sin enters into the picture and it fractures our relationships with God. Sin enters into the world and and Adam and Eve look at each other and they blame one another. They hide first from God. And then they begin to blame one another. And we've had this fractured relationship ever since. You see, Romans 3.23 makes it very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need a Savior. But you have to understand, God's intention was for us to be in right, a right relationship with Him. So Christ comes into the world. Uh, and because of sin, what we get then is the law. Um, and it's important for us to understand this. You see, because centered into the world, we had this fractured community, this fractured relationship. And it complicated community. The effects of sin was fractured relationships with God and, and with man and with one another. You see, we long to be loved. We long to be accepted. We long to have a right relationship with God. But sin separated us from God and it complicated things. So, so the Lord gave us, God gave us the law to manage this fractured relationships. And he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not covet. He gives us the law. He says to us, because of sin, man needs these guidelines in their lives. 
So he says, do not kill, because when you kill, it really messes up community. It really messes up relationships. He says, do not commit adultery, because when you commit adultery, it really messes up relationships. Just sleep with your own wife. Here's what I want you to understand is this. In your search for love, in your search for acceptance, in your search for community, where you can know and be known, it's been fractured by sin. And John 17 deals with this reality. When Jesus prays this high priestly prayer, he is praying, Father, glorify your Son, so the Son may glorify the Father. What does that mean? That means that Christ knows that he's going to go to the cross and die for you and for me so that we can have a restored relationship with him. And Christ gave his life for you and for me so that we can have a right relationship with the Father, but we can also have a right relationship with one another. And we simply become ambassadors of reconciliation as we are obedient to the word of God. Look at me with me at John chapter 21, chapter, chapter 17, verse 21. That all of them may be one. See, Jesus prays that we will be one as he and the Father are one. We often see that verse and we, simply, we think it simply means relational here. He's talking about here first so that these things are under his blood. That all of them may be one. In the new covenant, God provides for us through the blood of Jesus Christ the privilege of entering into a right relationship with him. And we are justified because of his death and his resurrection. And we enter into a right relationship with God. And we can be one with God. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Jesus prays that you might have a right relationship with the Father and a right relationship with each other. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. You see, in Christ, the fractured relationships are healed. Christ paid the price for you and for me so that we might have a relationship with the Father. Do you get this? Do you get the depth of this scripture? Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God loves you as much as he loves his own son? you see it there? That you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. That you might have a right relationship with him. This is the prayer of Jesus for you. That you might know him. Verse 24, we find Jesus praying for our spiritual destiny. Father, I want those who have given, you have given me 
to be with me where I am, to behold my glory. Again, you write in your own name there, Father, I want Rex to be with me where I am. Jesus prays that you will spend eternity with him. It's his desire that you spend eternity with him in heaven. He died for that cause. He gave his life so that you might be with him forever. And he prays here in this high priestly prayer that you might spend, Father, I want Rex to be with me where I am, to behold my glory. I had very godly grandparents. I had a mamma and a papa and a grandma. And my mamma and papa would always take time on Christmas and Thanksgiving and throughout the year to pray and also read scripture and, and, the, and my Mamma in particular, she would, she would talk to us grandkids and want to make sure that we were in right relationship with God. And uh, she would say stuff like, you know, one day, not, not anytime soon, but one day I'm going to heaven. And when I go, I want you to be there to follow me. It's important. It's important to me to know that you're following in Christ's footsteps. It was a priority to her that all of her children, and all of her grandchildren would have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that they would spend eternity in heaven together. She didn't mince any words. She was straightforward with that. Jesus doesn't mince any, mince any words here. Father, I want, put your name in there, to be with me where I am so that one day they will behold your glory. Think about it. And finally, verse 25. Jesus prays for our mutual love. Righteous Father, through the word, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The final request of Jesus was for our mutual love for the Father. He wanted us to have a mutual love for God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He wanted us to have that same relationship that he had with God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. He wanted us to know that love and to have that love shared with one another. Pastor Edgar is going to come and he's going to lead us in a song. Tonight, this, this, this morning, we've talked about our spiritual unity in Christ, our spiritual destiny through Christ and our mutual love that we're to have for one another. It's pretty simple, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you that you might have life and have it to its full. You see, because of sin, we had this fractured relationship. There's stuff between us. Guilt and shame fear, anxiety. And I don't know what it is that's keeping you from a right relationship with God. But He paid a price so that you could have a restored relationship with Him. And He desires this restoration. And today is the day of salvation. There may be some in the room who who simply say, Rex, I I don't know that right relationship. and, And I want to be known by God. 
I want to be loved by God. I want to restore. I want the restoration of this relationship with the Father. There may be others in the room that say uh, self-centeredness is where I'm at. I haven't really died to self, and I just want the Holy Spirit to bathe me in His presence and to have complete control of my life. And, and I'm tired of the consumerism of this world. I'm tired of seeking all these things. And I just want to simply give my life totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to have complete control of my life. Let's stand and sing together. The Lord speaks to you. The altars are open. We encourage you to come. Meet with Jesus here at these altars. A prayer.